Hello and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm your host, Tom Chrisman, freelance creative director, copywriter, ad nerd, and co-dean of Ad House Advertising School. Today, I get to talk with Steve Pacheco, CEO of the American Advertising Federation. I first met Steve when he was my client at BBDO. He might have made more Super Bowl spots than maybe anyone. Uh, but he's now at the, uh, the advertising, American Advertising Federation, and he's setting a high standard for the values of advertising, connecting the talent that drives it, and progressing the issues that will evolve the industry for the better. Sounds like good stuff that we want to get involved in. Uh, but his origin story is really cool. Uh, and uh, he's just, he's always been a very curious guy and he's always loved this business and you can really hear it in his story. Um, there's a lot of great advice in here. But first, I got to tell you about Ad House and uh, our fall application is, is up and live and there's 72 spots and it's first come, first serve. We got George Tannenbaum, we got, we got six classes this, this semester. Uh, and you get 10 weeks of classes for just uh, 600 bucks, and they're filling up fast. So head over to adhousenyc.com and apply today. Okay, cool. Uh, hope to see you in my class. But now let's listen to my talk with Steve Pacheco. Uh, Steve Pacheco, welcome to the A-List podcast. Couldn't tell you how happy I am to be here, Tom. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. excited to see you. It's been many, many years since we've spoken. Um, and, uh, and then many, many more before that, uh, that we worked together at, uh, Barton, wait a minute, what are the BBDO? What is that? Barton, Barton, Thurston, and Oz. How do I know that? You don't know that. You worked there. I, I, I heard it sounded, uh, as if, uh, a luggage was falling downstairs. Somebody said that. We, we also said the BBDO stood for bring it back and do it over. That's right. That is uh, something it did stand for because <laughs> that often happened. It did indeed. I yeah. think uh, I, I don't think I wrote more scripts for any other brand than I wrote for FedEx uh, in the uh, years that I was there. And you were the, you were the uh, you were my client, our client there uh, and the best client I've ever I've ever maybe seen because uh, because you 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 did some great stuff. But I'd like for you to say that again. I want to make sure you recorded that. So that <laughs> it was recorded to the cloud. And, and uh, I, only saw, I don't know how many scripts you wrote. I know it was a boatload, but I also know that, that I only got to see the good ones. And, uh, you know, I, I'm very, very proud of all that work and, and those great yeah. years that we had and the long association with, with, uh, with those two powerhouse brands and just, just all the great work that came out of it. I'm, it holds up and it's, it's still one of my proudest moments is to get to work on, you know, an important worldwide brand with one of the world's best ad agencies and to do work that we can all be proud of. But uh, you started, uh, you, you didn't really know about advertising until like your, your sort of your last year of, of college or when, when did you, when did you get the advertising bug? You know, it was like, it was like junior year. I always thought I wanted to be the great American writer, the great American journalist, yeah. And, and, you know, when I got an internship at the local newspaper back then, they put me on the death desk. I wound up writing obituaries. And I was like, this sucks. This is no fun at all. I don't think I want to do this. This is not why I went to school. And, and uh, meanwhile, during breaks, I'd go hang out with the advertising guys, and they knew what they were doing, and they were having a lot of fun. At, at and, the University of Memphis? 
Well, I was I was doing an internship at the Commercial Appeal during my junior year. Oh, okay. So that was the newspaper. Yeah, yeah. And I was and the getting, ad guys at the newspaper were doing. Yeah. Stuff. Okay. And they would come to me and ask me to help write ads, you know, because they were getting burned out by whoever the hack was that they had writing the ads there. So <laughs> I put a youthful spin on it, and I would I would throw something at them, and they were like, "Hey, this may be something for you." And so I'd go back to journalism classes and and say, "Hey, maybe this advertising thing is something I'll look at." I had a really great advisor there. His name was Ron Spielberger, and to his credit, Ron's no longer with us, and and. Uh, I had the privilege of being able to speak at his at his funeral about oh, wow. five years ago. And I, I made the impression there to everybody in attendance that he really turned me around and, and got me on a good path. And I contribute a lot of my success to to Ron, making sure I didn't fall through the cracks there. You know, just yeah. He he got me involved in the national student ad competition, which was an mm -hmm. AAF uh, program for, for college kids. And uh, I embraced it fully and just you know, grabbed it by the ears and then we went off and ran with it and did pretty well in the national competition. So what, that was a fun experience for me. Yeah. Tell me about that. What was it like being in the national student ad competition and, and what's it like, what's it like that? What was it like then? Well, it was, it was, it was channeled chaos because you take a whole class and they work on this for a full semester. Uh, for us, it was the spring semester. And then you get to present your work at the end of it to a panel mm -hmm. of, you know, pros and judges. In our case, it was Maxwell House Coffee, and this is like mid '80s. Yeah. And so there was no Starbucks, you know, there were no K cups. This was, you know, you you had to percolate and brew your own coffee at home, right? Insane, insanity. So, uh -huh. so they gave us the brief, and we had to go off and run with it. And we came up with this great line: "Magic mornings begin with Maxwell House." Okay. And if you flash back mid '80s, the the whole magic thing was in vogue, and David Copperfield was hot, and uh, you know, the pen and tellers had come around. It was all about magic. And so we, we did a whole campaign around magic mornings begin with Max. Wow. And we thought it was great. And lots of people thought it was great, but it wasn't great enough to be first place. It came in second. All right. Uh, but what do you attribute that to? What do you attribute the, the second place to? What do you, what I just, well, two things. One, we got beat out by the university of Georgia, which had been on like a three year tear where they had won it year after year after year. Okay. And the guy that led that team was actually a gentleman by the name of David Raines, who went on to do global brand management at the Coca-Cola company in Atlanta. Oh. And so David was destined for greatness even back in his college days. And, and we've stayed in touch through the years. And, um, you know, we, we formed that friendship and kept it going, which is awesome. But, but for us, you know, we were just kids from Memphis that had nothing to lose. And we thought we'd take a swing for it and see what we could do. And yeah. we probably weren't as polished as some of the other teams. And we probably weren't as as skilled as some of the other teams to be fair but but we got by on a little memphis moxie and we we did our best you know and magic and magic never never cut out the magic that's right and and i gotta tell you my biggest takeaway from all that was learning to work as a team and a team that you know is not necessarily just like you but people that come from different socioeconomic backgrounds people that are there for different reasons people that are you know different uh, uh dna makeup than you are and and yeah. You got to respect the ideas and, and figure out, you know, what they bring to the table and, and working as part of a group will always teach you something, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what did you learn in that? What, what did you learn about working as a team? What are, what are, the, what are the important things? Yeah, probably, probably two things. One is just somebody's got to take leadership and ownership of it or it's just chaos, right? It's just a goat rodeo. So I stood up and said, I'm going to lead this because nobody else is. And so that was a great experience and just early leadership lessons and knowing that, you know, even with the best creative minds in the world, if somebody's not orchestrating that, it's not going to go well. 
So yeah. I just assumed the leadership and nobody fought me on it. So, okay, it's my show to ruin now. Yeah. <laughs> and the second learning that came out of it was that, that if you give young people a chance to work on something that's bigger than they are, that they'll do some great work. And, you know, everybody had heard Maxwell House. It was a household brand. And, yeah. And it felt good to be working on something that was that big. And you could go home and tell your mom and dad you were working on something that they knew about. And it legitimized right. it, 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 made it real, I guess. Yeah. So that gave you the bug for advertising. And, and from then on, you, you were like, hey, maybe this could be a career. Or was that like, well, that was fun, but I, got, I really got to hunker down on this journalism thing. No, I, I tell you, Tom, the, the greatest motivator in the world is just, you know, getting angry and pissed off. And I, we were not happy that we came in second. We had a chip oh. on our shoulder. And this was my junior year, remember? So I wanted, I wanted to come back and do it even better. And, you know, we thought we were world beaters. We thought we were going to win the whole thing. And uh, so I, I, didn't, I didn't like that we came in second, you know? That's right. the first loser, as, as yeah. Ricky Bobby says, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, I doubled down and, and made, even, uh, made it even more of a mission to do better the next year and, and try, to, try to outdo our previous uh, work. And, and I tell you, I caught the bug big and I started – looking at advertising differently, really breaking it down, looking for the right. insight, looking for the strategy, figuring out the craft of it, how it was done, how it was put together, you know, all the, all the inner workings. And back then, what, what, did you, what did you look at? Where did you look to for that? Like your teachers, I guess, and your, some of the professors, but where else? Like there was no Google that you could, hey, what's, no, David no. Droga wasn't even doing this yet, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Phil Dusenberry was in his prime, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I would just take everyday examples, you know, things that you're exposed to on an everyday basis and, and break them down and not just look at them, you know, for, at the face value, six or eight seconds you spend with a message and move on. I, I would really try to break it down and figure it out. You know, why did they, why did they use that color? Why did they use that line? Why did they use that uh, visual? You know, it, I don't know. It probably yeah. obsessive to the, to the element of, of how much I studied it both in the classroom and outside, but, I was fascinated by it and sort of the intersection of psychology and persuasion I thought was really, really fascinating. Yeah. And that, that was the, that was 1984, uh, you know, the, one of the greatest ads ever made 1984 coming out that year. Were you, did you see that happen and where was it, or was it one of those things that after the fact it was more. Well, it was after the fact of, of the competition, but for me, you know, obviously I watched the Super Bowl that year differently than everybody else did because now I'm an advertising expert, right? I mean, I'm, I'm 20 years old, but I'm an advertising expert. And, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm no fun to have at your Super Bowl party is what I'll tell you, because I, you know, I'm a tough audience and I'll, I'll tear things down and break it down and point out things that nobody else cares about. But that's the obsessive nature that, that's inherent in me. And I think yeah. there's great learning in that. You, know, you, you, can't, you can't really discover much unless you break something down and figure out what, what its components are. Yeah. Why did it happen and why, why this? So, so when you saw 1984, did you know that that was a big spot? Did you know that that was huge? Well, I knew two things. I knew it was different from everything else that was running at that time. Yeah. And, and not just Epic, but, you know, just the whole scope and scale of it was different. But I also thought that it was trying to tell me something well beyond just whatever the inline was and, and what the tagline said. You know, this was, this was, as Marshall McLuhan said, that you will know us by our pop culture. And this, this was a defining moment in pop culture, the way I saw it. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, I probably lost a couple of nights sleep just wondering, what, what are they actually trying to tell me here, right? Yeah, it's yeah. bigger than, than what I just saw on television. Yeah, it wasn't just giving you a logical uh, uh, argument. It was, it was really, it hit you on, a, on an emotional level. 
that ad. Um, and you went on to do Super Bowl ads yourself. Um, but before that, how'd you get into how'd you get into advertising? Like, what what what'd you get in? How'd you get into the business? Was it in Memphis? Yeah, and it, it does all go back to college because uh, this 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 uh, guidance counselor advisor, whatever they called him back then, Ron Spielberger. Uh, one of the first things he made me do is go out and sell ads for the Daily Helmsman, the local newspaper for the University of Memphis. Yeah. And so you went around to the bars and the shops and all that, and you just tried to get them to advertise to the students, you know, and it was a printed newspaper back then that came out yeah. daily, five days a week. And you made a little commission if you sold ads, but you also, you know, got to uh, persuade people that they needed to advertise to these college kids that were, you yeah. know, just minutes away from their, their build businesses and all. And so from that, I, I made some good relationships. I found out that, you know, Hey, I can sell ads. This is, but I wasn't just a regular ad sales guy. I would, I would mock up the ad or, or spec it out and then go show it and, oh, the ad and say, don't you want to run this tomorrow in the newspaper and appeal to 10,000 students on the campus of the university of Memphis? Yeah. And, so you, and you were uh, acting as an ad agency at that point, because that is how ad agencies, you know, originally got paid, right? They, they yeah. made the ad and then they said, Hey, you want to put this into the paper and we'll get a commission on it. And you were basically an agency. I was a one man band, man. And I was, I was working as hard as I can. And, and, that taught me my second valuable lesson in, in the advertising life, which is to respect the hustle. You know, people that are out there and, and making a run for it should be championed. And, and my favorite quick story, Tom, is yeah. uh, there was a lady, her name was Sadie McClurkins, and she ran a laundromat right near campus, uh, 942 South Cooper. I still remember the address. And the building's still there, although her business is not. And Sadie was a... Uh, a high school teacher and during the day she would teach at high school and then after three she would go to her laundromat and she would work that and a lot of college students dropped off their cleaning with her and she'd you know fluff and fold and, and all that stuff and mm -hmm. the laundry and i'd been on one date and my date had remarked that my clothes were not as clean as they could be so i realized early on the value of clean laundry and and um <laughs> me and a couple of these guys that that i knew from college we we had spooled up this thing that we called DBA and we called it drinking buddies advertising. And we would go to the varsity Inn on campus and we would order a pitcher of beer and we would um, hammer out concepts and then we'd go sell them. And so for Sadie, we figured if we take her a radio spot and we find a way to get it on air, maybe she'll give us free cleaning and pay us for the ad. And so we went and we found a guy that owned a radio record session and we went and found a, a lady who could sing halfway decent, a student. And we wrote a couple of scripts and then we did this jingle about Sadie, Sadie, the cleaning lady. She'll treat you right. She's not shady. Uh, oh and, my and, and so we did this whole jingle and we put it on a cassette deck and we took it down there and showed it, played it for her. Yeah. And she loved it and laughed and she goes, yeah, let's do that. And so we bartered with a few radio stations and we got it on air. And to this day, I still remember Tom, three, four weeks later, we go back in there to check on her and to pick up our, our free clean laundry. Yeah. And she said, look, y'all got to turn that off. I got more business than I can handle. I'm backed up. I can't hire enough people. It's working. It's working too well. Wow. Turn off the radio commercial. <laughs> That's amazing. And we were so thrilled that, you know, Hey, a, it was working and B, all of a sudden, Sadie was a big believer in advertiser and yeah. advertising and the power of it. So it, it worked. And, and we, we took that as a real moment of, of truth that, you know, that, hey, 
we might be on to something here. Yeah. Do you still have the tape of that? Do you still have the It's the probably in a box somewhere, and I should dig it out because yeah, that would be really I'm particularly cool proud of it. it. It tells a story into itself about us being able to connect a very small business and the power of advertising. And moreover, yeah. just, just, you know, have fun with it. Yeah. And the, the, what I take from it is, is you were, you know, in the age now in the age of TikTok, and we all have cameras in our pockets and I'm recording this from my apartment on a, you know, on, on zoom with a, with a mic back then it was like, you had to really figure that stuff out. You had to, yeah. Okay. We know that guy at that, like to go to a radio station. I don't know that I would have had that kind of at that age, had that kind of moxie to, to be able to like, Oh, we could do that. Where'd you get that confidence from? Well, you know, back to respecting the hustle. We just, we wanted free laundry. And I never had a second date with that young lady who pointed out my dirty shirt. And yeah. that's, a, that's a powerful life lesson too, right? Yes. Um, and so to be fair, we went into Wilkerson Sound Studio at 3442 Park Avenue in Memphis. They're not open anymore. And we knew one of the guys that was working there. He was a college student. And so he let us in at 11 p.m. at night when everybody else had gone home. And we didn't even know which buttons to turn, man. We just made it up as we were in there. Yeah. So we, we crashed Wilkerson Sound Studio with a couple of six packs of beer and figured out how to record it. That's incredible. <laughs> and we walked out with a couple of tapes at 1 a.m., you know. So we were That's learning amazing. as we went along. Yeah, and, it, and it, it worked out okay. And then we'd go to the radio stations and we would, we would you know, figure out unique trade agreements with them to yeah. let them run the spot a few times. So we ran it on the campus radio station, which didn't cost us anything. Yeah. Next thing you know, she's got students bringing her bags of dirty clothes. And Sadie was very, very happy. And they were all singing that song, I bet. Sadie, Sadie, the cleaning lady. (laughs) Changed her sign out front to say Sadie, Sadie, the cleaning lady. Did she really? She did. That's incredible. That's so cool. That's like the coolest thing. Like to have that on your, like you get every job right now in advertising. (laughs) If you had that, right? It's like, it's like, wow, this kid, this kid does it all. Here was a working class teacher doing this business on the side. And it would have been fine just to keep rocking as, you know, as it was, but yeah. We were able to show her the power of a marketplace and, you know, college kids have dirty clothes and the people who live yeah. around campus had dirty clothes and a lot of people drove by Sadie's but didn't think about it. Yeah. And so we opened up a whole new world of trade for her yeah. and she profited from it and she had to hire additional people and, you know, buy new machines. And yeah, you made, you made happy. people, you made a lot of people happy with that. That's cool. That's the power of advertising right there. Uh, and you had fun. Like, who doesn't like crashing a, uh, a recording studio at 11 p.m. Uh, with their friends and having some beers and some fun? Yeah, that's, that's basically what uh, shoots are like as well. I mean, you know, we don't have the beer until after we're shooting. But remember shoots? Remember shoots? I do remember shoots. I've got a few fun. of my favorites, too. They were fun. Um, so what happens next? How do you get a, a job at an agent? I'm sure you brought those tapes to the agencies, and they were all like, come on board. So that's the other thing is that you had a body of work to show and you know, you play for some people and some of them would laugh and some of them wouldn't. And then they were like, this is pretty amateur. And I'm like, yeah, but we're amateurs. We're kids. Yeah. Um, but it gave you, you know, a bit of a book and a start to say, I can do this. I can make stuff happen for people. Yeah. No strategist wrote a creative brief. No producer came in and sweetened up the sound. It just was raw stuff that we did, but dig through all that. And you'll see that there was an insight here that that was pretty powerful and that, you can't argue success. I mean, Sadie, call her up right now. She'll tell you she's doing okay. Um, <laughs> She'll tell you to stop calling. <laughs> by the way, we also told her, 
we told her after the second run of the commercials, we said, you need to jack up your prices, Sadie. I mean, you're, you're, this is too cheap. You gotta, you gotta get more money. Yeah. She, never, she hadn't changed her prices in five years, she said. So she got to actually up her prices for her service because of the, you know, the demand based yeah. on the advertising. So That's we were crazy. able to make that business case that, you know, we, we can do pretty good stuff. Imagine what we could do with the right tools and with the right guidance and all, right? Yeah, so yeah. That became a nice way to be able to do that. I worked for the Commercial Appeal for a few more years and then um, wound up spinning that off into a local ad agency in Memphis. It's called Humphreys Inc. Oh, wow. And uh, Anderson Humphreys was the, the founder of that little agency. When I, when I joined it, there were three employees. At, at some point, we became Memphis's second or third largest ad agency through it all. We were known for really doing great design work and, and some breakthrough creative because Anderson himself was a creative genius. He really was. But Anderson, would he, he got bored too easily if he didn't have work coming through the pipeline. So it was my job to go out and make sure he had plenty of assignments to keep him busy and off the streets. And, yeah. and we were able to bring in some local clients and wound up doing some regional and national work. Uh, including some work for FedEx and some work for International Paper, uh, which was headquartered in Memphis. And I wound up through my relationship with International Paper being offered a job to go to work for them as their manager of advertising. Oh, wow. When, so when you went client side. They, they at me and said, this guy knows our business. And this was early 90. I had just gotten married. Uh, if you remember 91, there was a huge advertising recession. Yeah, I'd gone four or five years with, I mean, four or five months after working four or five years with this agency without a paycheck, because the partners wow. decided we couldn't take a check during all this. And here I am newly married and, and about to start a family and I had to have, you know, some stability. Yeah. So I sold my soul and went corporate mm -hmm. and international paper was not a great marketer. They were a great manufacturer, Yeah. but I learned a lot through all that. Took them all the way up through the 1996 summer Olympics in Atlanta and managed wow. all that work. That gave me a little bit of sports marketing experience. Yeah. Uh, as they they were a sponsor of that. Yeah. And then right after that, uh, I got a call from a guy at FedEx that said, we, we've seen all this great work you're doing over there. And, you know, maybe, maybe you want to work uh, at Memphis's largest employer. And by the <laughs> way, they, they shared an ad. BBDO had done a lot of work for hammer mill papers. It was an old brand of copy paper. Right. It was an old trade account that BBDO had had for years and years and years. And uh, I, had, I had gotten decent work out of BBDO for that little brand. Tom Carey was the president of BBDO New York at the time. And he actually recommended me, the FedEx people, they were looking for somebody to manage their advertising. And, and Tom, to his credit, said, you got a kid in Memphis right there doing some pretty good work for, you know, this little brand called Hammer Mill Papers. You ought to look him up. Wow. So we made a connection that made me an offer, and I started two weeks later. So that was uh, September of 97. I joined FedEx. What was it about you that, that Tom Curry uh, thought was, was so good? Was it? I think, again, that, that Memphis Moxie came through because I would see him in the halls and I would say, I don't think we're getting the best talent on our Hammer Mill Papers account. <laughs> and to his credit, I, th I think he said something along the lines of, well, I assure you, you're not. <laughs> and and uh, he goes, you're not spending enough money to get any talent from this agency. What are you talking about? And, and um, I think he admired me from that perspective that I always wanted to do more and, you know, put the good people on my business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were spending nothing at the time. It, it you know, I, I'm surprised he didn't throw me out of the office at that point. But, but you know, I, I wanted different stuff. I didn't want the same old trade ads that everybody else had. I wanted to, you know. Yeah. 
spool it up a little bit and do some different things. And uh, I think you respected me for that. I, th I certainly do. Yeah. What is it about that great work? Because I saw that in you when I worked uh, for you on, on FedEx, that you were the kind of client that was, was always doing that. Like, is this the best you guys can do? What's, what's, you know, what else you got in there? You know, what's the, what's, and you loved the shoots and you loved the, hearing the scripts, even when you killed them, you were like, that's pretty good, but I can't do it. You know, well, is that, <laughs> did you want to be a creative? Did you, I mean, you were doing creative when you first started. Did you, did you ever say like, I missed out I, or are you like, I made the right decision? <laughs> well, I'll be, I'll be very frank. I think the best client is someone who can appreciate every facet of great advertising, right? Yeah. And, and not just one element of it, because there's so many dimensions to great advertising, as you know, Tom. And, and you know, you can have somebody who's really, really great at strategy and insights. You can have somebody who's a production ace. You can have somebody who's a media master. You can have somebody who just, you know, loves creativity, but it's rare indeed to have someone who's equally skilled at all of those disciplines. Mm -hmm. And, and you've got to be, especially, you know, if you've got a small client side shop where you don't have a lot of people you can throw at that, you, you've got to be well-versed in every one of those disciplines to be able to, you know, craft and supervise a great ad. And, and yeah. if you fall short on one or two of those different dimensions, it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. And so, the things I wasn't particularly good at, I tried to work harder on and get smarter at. I mean, I would sit down for hours with the media people at BBDO and say, teach me about this and tell me why this should be this way instead of that way. Yeah. And on the production stuff, I would get way in the weeds and, and BBDO had some of the best producers in the world. And I'm sure I irritated the hell out of them just <laughs> digging deeper about, well, why do we have to do it this way? And why can't we do this and save some money? And, yeah. and they were always very patient with me because they saw my, sincere, genuine curiosity and my, my need to know. So I could yeah. go back, by the way, the, the benefit of that is that I could go back to Memphis and be able to persuade or disarm somebody who would be taking shots at some of these budgets and things like that. And I'd say, no, 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 you don't understand it. Let me explain it to you yeah. and why it has to be that way. And by the way, we've already worked it out on the side of where we've saved some money here or there or whatever. But I always yeah. felt like I was comfortable and defending the work and how the work got made to where people couldn't take shots at. Yeah, and that, that started in college when you were so obsessed with every part of, of uh, your pitch for Maxwell House. And, and I think that, that it's missing now, right? Like, isn't it? Isn't it... I think so. I think, I think we went through that phase of specialization where everybody just, you know, I'm the subject matter expert on this and I'll help you with it. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm more of a generalist. I don't know a lot about anything, but I know a whole lot about a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that's more powerful some days, you know, yeah. I, I can sniff out good creative. I'm, I think I've got a pretty good sense about that. And, you know, I'll, I'll challenge you to look at the body of work that I always approved and, and, you know, the yeah. good stuff got through and the bad stuff didn't. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, a borderline client between good and bad will make some bad decisions. Yeah. Uh, but again, if your track record is more success than failure, you're doing pretty well. And yeah. I'll stack up any of the 12 Super Bowl spots I, I worked on. You know, there's not a stinker in the bunch. I'm pretty proud of all of them. Yeah. And, and by the way, we would craft them yes. you know, meticulously. And I would keep these binders and these books. So I, on each Super Bowl ad I did, I kept a book about everything that was important to make that ad the best it could be. I mean, I just obsessed about it. Yeah. And, um, and it made it better. One of my uh, favorite spots that I ever did uh, was for you. It was a thing called the Hoenix, 
Uh, and it like, it was like watching that being made. Uh, first of all, I hated the casting when we first cast it because I thought it was too big, but I was so wrong. I'm such an idiot uh, because that kid is magic. It, I'm not supposed to say I have favorite spots, Tom, but that one will go down in my top 10. I'll, I'll, I'll commit to that. And I got to tell you, uh, FedEx Kinko's at the time had launched this new thing called Pack and Ship Service, where they wanted you to bring in your gifts and stuff and let them professionally pack and ship it so they wouldn't be damaged. And, you know, that's pretty boring. Nobody cares to hear a lot about that. So we had yeah. to spice it up a little bit. And I, I challenged them on the brief to get creative with this. And, and because it still had the Kinko's name attached, we could be a little looser with it. We didn't have to be quite so corporate, if you will. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you the two things about the casting in that spot. One, the kid's hair makes the spot, and it's, it's the best hair ever used in advertising, and I'll, I'll fight anybody who wants to disagree on that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but also his sweater. He's wearing this really cheesy Christmassy sweater, yeah. if I recall. Yeah. And then his hair is so wild and crazy. And the lady that corrects him has such perfectly coiffed hair. Yeah. The juxtaposition between that just blows me away every time. And she's got her act together and she knows that it's Phoenix. And he's just <laughs> like this crazy kid that just fell out of bed and is trying to get his mom a present. Um, it was magic in a lot of ways. And it's yeah. camera lockdown, simple shoot, nothing yep. fancy. Yeah. And I still get comments on that. And it's still one of my personal favorites. And it, and it still did the job that it was supposed to do. And people talked about that for, for a long time. So fun to go on those shoots. Um, There's such big ones. Um, and so after that, you, you, after FedEx, you went off to, uh, to, to basically run the AAF, right? Like you're the, you're the CEO of the American Advertising Federation. Something like that. And, um, it's one of those things that, that is really and honestly more of a calling than a job, and it's more of a passion project for me. <clears throat> Excuse me. I just wanted to be able to give back something to the industry that had been so good to me. You know, yeah. I'm a kid from Memphis, not the epicenter for advertising by any stretch of the imagination, and somehow, some way, well, through a lot of hard work and, and really making good connections, I was able to carve out a decent career uh, in advertising and work with some of the finest minds in, in advertising around the world. And, and, you know, the awards will bear that out too. But, but I wanted to be able to, it occurs to me that nobody's telling the good news stories about advertising. Everybody wants to take cheap shots at advertising and tear it yeah. down and point fingers at the things that aren't as good as they could be. And, mm -hmm. and I can't let that go on my watch. So um, I accepted the challenge to <clears throat> come into the organization and look at it with fresh eyes and really be an advocate for advertising right. and really be very, very focused on telling those good news stories and giving kids and young people opportunities okay. to make What's way? my prescriptions ready longer this time. So the AEF gives us an opportunity to develop that next generation of advertising leaders, uh, work on the educational side of things, work on the diversity and inclusion side of things, which is critically important now, yeah. maybe more than ever. Uh, and to do all the things that, that a professional association ought to be doing for the good of the group, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a group for just advertisers. There's a group for just agencies. We're right smack dab in the middle. And, and you know, our mantra is love all, serve all. Anyone who's involved in the profession of advertising can be a member of the AAF. Mm -hmm. and, and we want to advocate for those, those folks that don't have another organization to be a part of yeah and so you know we've got more than 200 ad clubs all across north america 
grassroots network built in with all these clubs. And, and, you know, flashing back, my early exposure to some of the greats in advertising came through the AAF. Yeah. When those folks would come through Memphis to speak at the monthly luncheon, and I would mm-hmm. offer to go pick them up at the airport or, or take them to their hotel or drive them out for barbecue or whatever, just so I could get extra time to spend with them. I got to tell you, people respect when they see that you have a genuine curiosity and that you're trying to make yourself better or more marketable or just break into the world of advertising. Most people respect that, you know, and, yeah. and truth be told, most of those people have been in a similar position where they had to get somebody to give them a break or to talk to them or whatever. Yeah. And there weren't a ton of people in Memphis that, that would give me that opportunity. So I had to seek a broader audience or a national audience. And AAF mm-hmm. was a great way to let me do that. Yeah. And it's and still happening, have, right? AAF is still, uh, are you still affiliated with colleges and you still do the, uh, the uh, national student ad competition? Very much so. And, and this past year, Adobe Creative Cloud was the client, nice. which kids loved working on because yeah. you know, it, it was a business to business case study, but they got all the, the resources from Adobe to do that. Oh, that's fun. Adobe folks were very, very pleased with it. The University of Virginia won first place uh, and, and they were awesome. I'm telling you, you know how many professional agency pitches I've sat in on yeah. and watching all these kids present, um, they're really, really good. They're poised, they're polished, they're smooth. They know their stuff. It's, it's like watching a professional agency pit. Yeah, that's um, great. And they nailed it. The Adobe people were very happy about it. So we're, yeah, we're still doing that. We're doing ad camps for high school kids in the summer. Yeah, tell me about that. What, how does that work? And where can people sign up for that? You're not doing it this year, but where, where do you usually uh, go to sign up for a... Yeah, um, AAF.org has got all the information on it, and we mm-hmm. can post that later too. But, but uh, typically, we go into a major market, Atlanta, the last uh, year, mm-hmm. and Richard Ward down at, at 22 Square, great agency, great culture there. And Richard opens his doors for us, and we do a five-day immersive experience for high school kids, 11th, 12th grade in that area. A lot of them are urban city kids who probably wouldn't get this chance otherwise. Yeah. And they come in for five days. They get a sort of a mini assignment for one of uh, 22 Squared's clients to work on. They get to go tour production facilities, um, client side facilities. You know, they do a field trip each day to something different. And it rounds out their understanding of what the advertising business can be. And they leave that place forever changed on Friday after they, after they graduate. And a lot of their parents come to see their, their pitch and see them uh, show off the work they've been doing all week. And it's just, it's really cool to see them snap and get it and understand this may be a place for me to pursue a career, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think their high school guidance counselor is going to give them a lot of good insight into the world of advertising, but learning firsthand from practicing professionals will, will certainly make them excited about it. It is, uh, it's interesting to me because it's why we uh, took over AdHouse and, and our vision for AdHouse uh, in the future is to, to get at, you know, younger and younger kids. And um, as, a, as a kid who didn't realize, but I was being tracked, you know, I, I went, uh, I was being pushed into, you know, they called it commercial art. Uh, I had three periods of that. I had that, uh, English, social studies, and gym, you know, it was like, they were like, this kid is just going to do this in his life which I'm really grateful for now, but I didn't ask for that. I wasn't looking to be tracked. I just kind of, you know, that was better than woodshop, right? Um, but there's, there's so much that I got out of this business. And I feel like if, if kids in high school could figure it out, because right now what we're getting is kids who were lucky enough 
to have the kind of parents, money, family, where they could go to four years of college for something like journalism and then turn around and be like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to go to Miami ad school for two more years and you're going to pay for it. Uh, or I'm going to go to, to all these great schools, but they have to be able to go back and they can't do it right out of high school. I'd love to have a world where people could just be like right out of high school. Like, I love this. I want to make, like you said, like you will know us by our culture. Like yeah. advertising is pop culture, you know? And if people would consider it on that level, I think, I think we'd make a lot of good things happen. And, and quick side note, Tom, I just, I'm really proud of what you're doing. You and Paul, you know, who I've got great friendships with for over the years. Uh, it's a good and noble effort that you're doing, being able to build out a brand and, and do something that's incredibly meaningful if people take it to heart. And, and I just, I salute you for what you're doing and I think it's awesome. And, Thank and you. I want to find a way to support any way I can. Um, the AAF has a lot of similarities to that. You know, every February we announce our, our 50 most promising multicultural students. Great. And it's, it's young people who have been vetted through the AAF system. They're all solidly supported by their uh, tenured professors and advisors at their college level. And they have, they have shown us something special that sets them apart from everybody else. And we bring them to New York for a, a three-day immersive experience and they get to tour agencies and everything else. And, and they leave there. And then there's a recruitment fair that comes after that. Most of them leave there with a job offer or two because they're such promising kids. Yeah. And, you know, it frustrates the hell out of me that we can't do a hundred most promising students. Yeah. You know, our bandwidth is restricted only by the money we can raise. Yeah. And so until we get enough uh, support for that, we can't take it past the 50 that we're doing now. Yeah. And Omnicom has been very, very supportive of that. Your, your old holding company, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of the, a lot of the agencies are very supportive of it, but we need even more support to bring more kids to the forefront and let them get the same opportunity that these 50 had. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, now, uh, where can people, uh, check out your stuff and, and see all about the AAF and, and sign up? Can they sign up? Can people just sign up as, as students or is it, uh, well, you really need to work through your professor or your advisor at the collegiate level and they know all okay. the uh, ins and outs of it, but there's information on the website. Again, AAF.org will tell you all you need to know about that. And then our social media channels for AAF national. Uh, is a good way to keep all the new information coming your way and, and see what we're doing. And we post updates there. So, um, but your best opportunity for that, if you're a college student is to check with your advisor or your professor who's uh, uh, working on the advertising or marketing track, because they always have the information. We Great. send out cool kits to the faculty and, and they know the ins and outs of how to make that work. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what's the rest of your summer like? Just going to be hanging out in Memphis or what's, what's going on? You haven't taken a, a flight since March, you said. Yeah, it's the longest I've ever gone without getting on an airplane. And it feels really weird. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was telecommuting back and forth between Memphis and D.C. before all this stuff hit. Uh, I don't think I'm in a hurry to get back on an airplane, but at some point I'll have to do it. You know, yeah. Our offices are in D.C. because we do so much work on the Hill with advocacy and policy and and uh, if Congress goes back in session, you know, that'll, that'll require us to be up there and be more present. But right now we're working remotely and, and still making things happen. Our two big events this year, the Advertising Hall of Fame and the Advertising Hall of Achievement got scotched because we can't, uh, we can't have a lot of people together in our room yeah. uh, as a mandate. So, you know, we're learning how to, how to do more things virtually at the okay. AAF and put on events that are virtual and not real. 
-hmm. but I really, really want to get back to being in a room with people and, and celebrating the good news and all those things. And, and yeah, that's, that's what I'm after. Me too. I can't wait to see you in real life, Steve Pacheco. Thank you for uh, coming on and, and spending uh, a couple minutes with me uh, and everybody and telling us about your stuff and how you got into the business. I enjoyed it, Tom, more than you know. And, and I really appreciate uh, what you're doing there for Ad House. If there's ever anything I can do Thank to help you. you all, let me know. We, and same here. If we can help you uh, do some event or host some event or you know, do a Zoom event or what, you know, whatever, whatever you need. We are here for you because we love you. Perfect. We love you too, Tom. Uh, and I will see you uh, soon, hopefully. So there it is, my chat with uh, Steve Pacheco. Memphis Moxie. Man, he loves ads. Uh, I love the stuff about being curious about uh, every aspect of the job. Great advice. Um, I really want to hear that Sadie Sadie the Cleaning Lady jingle. Um, head over to aaf.org and check out all the resources they have there. I, I signed up for free and there's a, there's a lot of stuff you can, you can watch right off the bat. So videos, best practices, that sort of thing. And if you want to take an ad class with me or any of the other professors over at AdHouse, head over to adhousenyc.com. Zoom classes start week of September 14th, right after Labor Day. This has been The A-List. I'm Tom Chrisman. You can connect with me at tomchrisman.net. The music you're hearing is by Ross Hopman over at Duotone Audio Group. This was edited by me very slowly. Uh, thanks for listening, and please subscribe to the A-List podcast on SoundCloud or wherever you listen, and share us with a friend. See you next time. Thanks.